This is the Bob Olin Show on KDAL. And away we go with the Tuesday Bob Olin Show. Good morning, Bob. Well, good morning, Dave, and it is a good morning. Amazing <laughs> weather, huh? Yeah, it certainly doesn't feel like uh, November the 14th already, but uh, we better enjoy it while we can because I'm sure it won't last too long. Won't last long, and we had that real cold dip a little bit early. So talk about extremes. Uh, you right. just never really know what's coming, do, do you? No. Well, we got a call already this morning, Bob, so let's get right into the questions. Hey. Hi, who is this? This is Scott. Go ahead, Scott. Hi, Bob. Hello, Scott. Got, uh, got three quick questions about pruning, I guess, evergreen trees. I guess it's the spruce trees I have. Uh, okay. What's the best time of the year to do it, and should I... How far away should you cut the branches off from the main trunk, and do you still need to put pruning paint on them? Oh, good question. Uh, first, let's let's try to narrow it down. Uh, short needle tree. What yeah. are you talk about? Do you think it's spruce? I just want to make sure it's spruce. I'm not positive. It, it kind of looks like my parents had a bunch of Colorado blue spruce. It looks like that, but they're not as blue as, the, as theirs. Not as blue, well, but they got short needles. You know, we have two basic short needle uh, varieties, uh, one spruce, one fir. If you if you shake shake hands with it, is it sharp and prickly? Yeah. Or is it real smooth and feathery? The cones are really small. They're only about two inches long and maybe three-quarters of an inch in diameter. Okay, okay. It sounds sounds like you do have a, a spruce. Probably our uh, our native spruce, uh, white spruce, more than likely, or perhaps black spruce. Uh, you know, these we really uh, pruned in the spring of the year. They they will send out um, new growth, and on that new growth, we can cut that. There are multiple buds. So if you want that tree to fill in, we'll wait until the spring. We won't do any pruning right now. And, you know, you can always take some of those lower limbs off if that's what you're trying to do. In other words, you want to get underneath them, and uh, maybe you want to mow, cut the grass and other things. Uh, you can take those right back to your main stem. Uh, but for shaping and to get that tree fuller, then you want to wait until the spring. And I probably wouldn't want to do any pruning right now at this point. They're kind of... Uh, uh, setting uh, setting down a little bit, settling down for the winter, uh, unless you have broken branches or good reason to do that. I'd wait until the spring to shape them up. You definitely want to be in the spring, and you'll prune on these uh, these new the new growth, the extensions. Uh, spruce has got multiple buds that form on that new growth, and it's probably going to be sometime late May, early June when you're going to be pruning those. Okay, you can I'm, see I'm, there's quite. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, what I'm what I'm after is mainly getting these lower branches. I mean, the trees are probably about 15 inches in diameter at the bottom, and they're probably 30 to 40 oh. feet high. And it's, so oh, okay. lower branches are about 15 feet long. So it's basically that's sure, where sure. I get underneath there and cut better and get more light in there. Yeah. You, okay, I understand that now. You just want to take those off. Uh, you could do that now if you like. Uh, what you want to do when you come back to the main stem, you'll see what's called a, um, uh, a a ridge, a growth ridge there, right where the the stem connects into the bark itself or into the main stem, uh, your trunk. Uh, you don't want to flush cut. You want to make sure look for that ridge there, that branch ridge, 
and then just cut right above that because that's where the reproductive tissue is. You want these naturally to seal up. You don't need any pruning paint on them. As a matter of fact, uh, there are commercial pruning paints out there that contain an antiseptic. They may be okay, but you don't want to just uh, grab a, a can of oil paint in particular or latex because these paints can actually attract the fungi that can destroy the wood. So the critical thing is a nice clean cut. If you've got real heavy branches, you know, what you'll want to do is you'll want to go through this three-step process where you go out about uh, six, eight inches from the trunk make it a uh, vertical cup cut from the ground up and then come right next to that out just a little further and make your second cut from the top down so it breaks right there and does not break off near the uh, near the main stem your third cut you're just going to come back toward the trunk and you're going to look for that branch ridge there and you're going to make that third and final cut just to clean it up but the weight is off if you just take a cut you'll get this uh, heavy weight as that branch breaks down and it strips the bark right down at the trunk. And then you've got a pocket where water can collect and so forth. So it's a three-step process for these larger limbs you're talking about. Again, go out a foot, cut up, go out a little farther, cut down and let the branch break there and then come down and now you got maybe a uh, eight, 10 inch stub, stub there and come right back to the main trunk and then clean it up there but not too close to the trunk. Does that all make sense to you? Yep. I'm, I'm out here looking at the tree right now, and I, the, when the branch uh, uh, comes out of the tree, looks like it's kind of a bell shape there. So I, I'm supposed to eventually cut out just beyond that bell? Yes, just beyond that bell. And so you have a little bit of a stump there, but that's where the meristematic tissue or the uh, reproductive cells are, and then that will grow over that area. If you cut those off, then you've just got an open wound, and that will eventually rot. If you cut right out of that area where, where it's enlarged and take a nice, clean, sharp cut there, uh, then the, the uh, reproductive cells will cover that up naturally with a callus and then seal it off from water entry. It's water entry that we get concerned about. So, again, three-step process on the cut. Don't go in too close and just clean it up and you really don't need any paint don't use a conventional house paint if you feel compelled to use a pruning paint you can buy those they contain an antiseptic antiseptic but uh really not necessary if your cut is properly done done make sense okay hey thanks for the call you got your work cut out for you no you got to do it though i'll say that right Okay. Have a good day. Thanks for the call. Appreciate that. Well, there you go. A little uh, pruning story already this morning. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's really kind of interesting. You know, we we do like to uh, dormant prune. If you wanted to shape that, as I mentioned, any of our pine, uh, pine and spruce, any of the evergreens, uh, from arbor vitae to you know our northern white cedar to mm-hmm. our balsam to uh, spruce pines. Uh, we prune all of those for shaping in the spring. We prune those on the new growth rather than a dormant prune. But his situation, he just wants to clean up some of the lower branches, and he can certainly do that at this time of year. All righty. We'll take a break and be right back. More of the Bob Olin Show, 924 now on this Tuesday morning. And we're back. The Bob Olin Show underway here on KDAL. Bob, the big uh, festival of the season last Saturday. How'd that go? Uh, really fine. It was a good time. Saw a lot of great folks from the community, and uh, it just a, a real large turnout. 
kind of amazing. The weather was good. We didn't expect this warm spell, but people <laughs> kind of uh, getting into the season right now. Uh, Dave, so it yeah. was a lot of fun for sure. Very good. Now that it is getting plenty warm, we don't have to worry about some of those bulbs bursting out, do we? No, not really. I think uh, things are cool, and I notice evening temperatures yeah. have been remaining above freezing. And actually, right. what's very good about this, Dave, is that you know we've had the moisture, and if the moisture was sitting up on the surface, but I've noticed that uh, the moisture is gradually working its way down into what we call the soil profile. So we're getting plenty of moisture down in the ground. Uh, this was absolutely critical last year because it got so dry in the months of May and June. I had all the snow, and then it, it dried down very dramatically. But we had some moisture underneath. So if you could get your plants established, first it fed all of our perennial plants from the woodies, woody trees and shrubs, to the flowering perennials, herbaceous perennials. But the water was there. Uh, we're seeing not so cold there. We had this crust of uh, crust of ice on the soil surface for a while. Now, if that hadn't melted, then we would have been in a situation where uh, there would have been a lot of runoff. But this has warmed up, so the moisture that we did have, even if it froze a little bit on the surface, is working its way down into the soil profile. And, you know, if I had my druthers, uh, later in the month, it can wait a while, but later in the month I'd like a uh, a little snowfall on that ground. I just don't yeah. like open ground and extremely cold temperatures because if we could get two, three inches, four inches, it doesn't have to be real extreme. But a little bit of that would certainly insulate uh, the soil surface and that water would, that's down there would be staying liquid and then that would take us through the winter. But we only, you know, only nature knows what's coming <laughs> and uh, who knows? We'll have to live with it one way or another. But you mentioned the fact uh, spring flowering bulbs, a wonderful opportunity if you happen to yeah. have them, everything from garlic to tulips. And I might say this, uh, some of our retailers like to move that product out right now. Mm-hmm. They put it on sale because it's very late. And as you notice, they move up with the holiday season very dramatically. Right. It's kind of interesting how, uh, I don't know if we lost Thanksgiving in between, but we went from holiday <laughs> or from Halloween into Christmas real yeah. fast here, a lot of the decorations. And uh, in between, there's Thanksgiving, but they certainly want to move out some of these bulbs. And if they're still around, uh, you still have plenty of opportunity to pick some of them up, get them down in the ground. Mm-hmm. We caution people about this. If you got any oaks around, you got any gray squirrels, uh, they just love these bulbs. So make sure you've got some protection, and that would be a screen of some type or another on top after you planted them. And you know, in my in my world, uh, I kind of have two planting depths. We've got smaller bulbs. That's going to be about an inch and a half. You typically go a couple times the diameter of the bulb. But a large tulip, uh, particularly on lighter soils, needs to go a little bit deeper. But the gray squirrels do find those. So get them in, get them planted. But then pulling on uh, hardware costs, the best material, which is about quarter inch square galvanized steel, uh, pull that on the top. And then if you have tender bulbs. And a lot of our tulips are tender. Let's get a little bit of straw on top of that. Now, I must caution you, that has to be lifted. You know, those plants in the spring of the year aren't going to be able to penetrate through yeah. hardware cloths. You're going to have to take that off when the straw comes off and let the uh, let the emerging sh- shoots uh, uh, just grow naturally rather than bumping into that hardware cloth barrier, which will deform them. But nonetheless, that's the only way. Uh, bulbs are not inexpensive, even if you may be able to buy them on sale this time of year. Uh, they're still going to be expensive. They're uh, a beautiful spring display, but you want the gray squirrels to uh, have a yeah. feast, have their own Thanksgiving feast <laughs> in the process. Yeah, in the spring, when you take that off, make sure you do it under cover so the squirrels can't see you taking that uh, 
covering off. Well, it's real interesting. Because they'll you know, see it and they'll point, go right for them, you know. Yeah, in the spring of the year, however, as those those sprouts are emerging, now they've <laughs> taken all the energy out of the bulb. Ah. And uh, where we have most of the damage is in the fall like this because uh, the squirrels as well as the deer and other mammals, uh, they're just trying to put a little fat on for the winter. So they're very aggressive on the bulbs. And the bulbs have got a lot of carbohydrate for storage in there. As soon as we start to break in the spring, uh, that carbohydrate gets diminished. It gets put into the the flowering stock and the mm-hmm. vegetative stock. So there's not a whole lot for the uh, gray squirrels to go after. So oh. spring is not an issue, but it's the fall right now uh, for two reasons. First, the carbohydrates in the bulb, and then these critters are really looking for any uh, food source to get them through the winter. So their appetites are uh, kind of intensified in the fall. Spring so, isn't a problem. Fall certainly can be. All right. So the squirrels don't need them in the spring, but that's when the rabbits and the deer take over. <laughs> Well, I, I <laughs> chuckle a little bit, but you are absolutely yeah. right. And there Put a little fence around it. That'll too. help. Yeah, A little fence will help, or even if you if you want in the spring of the year, we've got a number of deer repellents. Rotate those. Uh-huh. Uh, some are, uh, you know, they're based on what we call offal from the uh, 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 livestock uh, slaughterhouses. Some of those are based on that. Some are based on putrescent eggs. Uh, take a look and uh, make sure you know what the source is and try to rotate the source of the repellent. And uh, that's really good advice there because the deer population, I know uh, according to what I've heard and what some hunters are saying, you get a little outside of the greater metro area and um, the deer population is down a little bit, but I think they're thriving within the city limits where they're protected. So I think all of us. I was kind of shocked. Uh, East Duluth, a big herd crossed in front of me on oh. about uh, 10th Avenue East and uh, and Third Street uh, early in the morning. But uh, they were out there looking for something to eat. So that's that's good advice. Wherever you happen to be, uh, get some kind of some form of protection out there in the spring. There, they do love tulips as they emerge. That's for sure. All right, all right Bob. We'll take another break, and I've got an update on the uh, world's biggest pumpkin. Uh, coming up as oh, we like as we you. continue here, coming up next. All right, we're back with Bob Olinchow and that Minnesota man who set a world record earlier this year for the heaviest pumpkin ever grown, as you might imagine, is preserving the seeds for himself <laughs> and apparently others. He says that he plans to keep seeds from that 2,749-pound pumpkin for his own use, but he's also going to send some to pumpkin clubs that request them, and the rest he plans to sell to other growers for 275 bucks each. And there's a whole lot of seeds in that pumpkin, I would guess. Oh, that's just amazing. You know, uh, <laughs> and thank you for updating that, us on that particular story. Right. I noticed that uh, a lot of seeds are getting a little more expensive, but uh, that's a little bit extreme. <laughs> you know what? The, well, uh, then you can uh, grow your own uh, record setter, I guess, and you get a lot of money for those big pumpkins, so maybe they'll be worthwhile for people. Well, I think in the contest, I, I think that's something the average person wouldn't want on their porch a little True. over a ton. <laughs> <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, what did you tell us earlier? You won $30,000 for the first p- place. Something like right? that. Yeah, I don't recall, but it was a bunch. And it it was a bunch, and then it cost him $15,000 to grow that pumpkin, <laughs> right. and I'm not sure what he was feeding it, but that was pretty expensive. Maybe that yeah. included the transporting out to California. But I was well aware that the big return would be in those seeds because yep. they're going to be very valuable. 
But it's not just the seed. It's just not genetics, but it's a whole lot of uh, care and culture as well. And there are some of the trade secrets, I'm sure, that go along with that. Uh, I've never really attempted that, but uh, I'm sure that we have a lot of people in the Northland, I think, that have tried some of those great big pumpkins. You know, there's the Atlantic Giant that's in all the catalogs, and a lot of people try to grow those, but they're not going to be 2,700 pounds, uh, certainly. (laughs) But the thing is kind of amazing. We have a shorter season. Uh, We don't have the intense temperatures. We have more light this far north, so you wouldn't expect a world record to come out of, and that was just north of the cities. Uh, they have some hot sands down there, I think, that they grow these things on. But nonetheless, it's kind of a center for uh, some of these larger pumpkins, which are kind of unique. But the value probably at 200, what'd you say, 275 275 each for the seeds. And he says, well, one of these seeds could actually produce the world's first 3,000 palm pumpkin, which has never happened yet. So maybe the mm-hmm. genetics are such you could get an even bigger pumpkin out of it. <laughs> I can see this contest going on for a while, that's for <laughs> <Yeah>. sure. <laughs> yeah. Pretty interesting story coming from uh, Minnesota, but, you know, we have kind of a you know, green giant country, I'll use mm-hmm. that term. We get a little bit farther south, and we have a tremendous growing tradition. And speaking of that, of course, we've got Thanksgiving coming up, and yeah. we've got uh, folks that are going to be making their own pumpkin pies, and that's kind of a fun endeavor. Mm -hmm. Uh, After you've done that once or twice, you realize how easy it is just to take a can opener and open a little bit of pie filling. But uh, it is fun, fun activity for the kids, and most people are aware that actually that uh, pumpkin pie filling is squash. It's Mm -hmm. typically butternut squash, and I've made uh, pies out of any number of winter squash from the buttercups to the butternuts, and uh, some are kabochas, which is... uh, one of our favorites, certainly. And um, I've actually taste tested them, and, you know, taste <laughs> is a very subjective thing. Right. And uh, most people like the squash a little bit better than the original pie pumpkins. So it's, <laughs> But it is all kind of fun if you have kids or if you're a kid at heart and you want to bring something special to your Thanksgiving dinner. And, and everyone's got a family tradition. My family, everybody brings a little something and makes a contribution. And I, of course, will bring the... Uh, squash pies or the pumpkin pies and a few potatoes always, Mm -hmm. but um, it is fun to make them if you have the time. It's like so many other things. It's a fun activity, pretty simple, and uh, we've got a lot of good uh, winter squash available still even at this point. So That's fun, Dave. Thank you for that update. Yeah, I can't tell if it's pumpkin or squash when I have a pie. As long as i got enough whipped cream on it, it's good no matter what. (laughs) Uh, That's true. Pumpkin (laughs) pie is kind of a favorite for just about about everybody for sure. You know, it's kind of fun. We've uh, we've got this warm spell here. You said it. It's going to change. Uh, we had a question there about pruning up spruce. You know, we're coming into Christmas tree season here pretty quickly. Oh, yeah. And we'll, we can touch a little bit on some of those ideas about where you get your tree. I don't think I would jump too early on a tree. You want them fresh, and that's the key, particularly some of our short-needle varieties. A lot of furs, balsam fir, Fraser fir, or Fraser fir balsam crosses is what our growers tend to grow in the area but um, the key there is uh, probably getting a good fresh tree letting it pick up a lot of moisture so you've got that uh, coming up right now though you take a look at that lawn if there are a lot of leaves out there and we've had a lot of leaf drop right now wonderful opportunity to get out there and try to collect some of the some of the leaves off the lawn surface I'm kind of a big advocate if you can uh, try to get those leaves off in the fall now if you can't and uh, people's schedules are busy they're not going to worry about it but try to take them off in the spring 
the leaves have formed kind of a mat there, and we get moisture that collects underneath it, and it's that moisture that has a uh, creates a very uh, moist environment that's conducive to fungal disease, and that can be very difficult for lawn. So continue to mow it the, at the height you've been mowing at, maybe one last mowing there, and, and collect those leaves and build a real nice compost pile. I mentioned in the past we need more organics in our soil. We've got a good sponsor that uh, does this commercially. The Western Lake Superior Sanitary District takes uh, trees, shrub, branches, organic material, lawn clippings, and they compost it professionally and produce their product garden green so that's available either bulk or bag so that's a real nice resource to have or you can do it yourself and and build that nice large compost pile and on a beautiful day like this if you had the opportunity collect all those leaves and uh, try to get them off the surface uh, don't do a whole lot of trampling things are pretty moist but get it uh, one last final cutting uh, of that grass, keeping it at an inch and a half, two inches, so it doesn't flop over and again create this real moist environment. It's uh, we got a nice warm spell here that gives you an opportunity. Late fall activities, maybe a little work out in the garden where you're going to pull off some of the old dead material that's out there, planting your spring flowering bulbs, planting some garlic if you still have the opportunity. So we still have a chance here in this little interim here, this warm period, to do some of those fall tasks that you might have completed and it'll pay big dividends for you certainly next spring Dave. depending upon where your trees are weather like today when we have a southwest wind gusting to 31 miles an hour it might help to blow some of those leaves into the neighbor's yard and they'll have to deal with it or if you've got that's a neighbor true. that's uh, upwind then you might end up with their leaves to work on very true they yeah. are moving around out there all over the place so uh you want to capture them, but you take a little look at, uh, you know, as I said, the people view leaves a little differently. Uh, right. Those of us that like to compost, we view that as a valuable resource. A lot of people will pick up your leaves or they'll have a, a leaves wanted sign. I've seen uh-huh. those at multiple locations where people actually value those leaves. And, of course, they value them. They can be used to mulch, and we right. talked about that before. Uh, can't just easily put them on top of your tulips. Put them in a plastic garbage bag first so that they retain the loft. And actually, they'll compost within those bags if there's some moisture there. So you can cut the bags open in the spring, and mm. and oftentimes you've got compost uh, within that, that bag itself. But in the meantime, you have what we call kind of a pillow pack, which uh, has that trapped air in it and provides a nice insulating barrier uh, that will stay in place. Uh, leaves will often blow off or they'll mat. So just straight leaves is a mulch. Uh, to cover and prevent uh, cold penetration is not nearly ideal. If you're going to use leaves, put them in a bag first. And as I mentioned, uh, now that they're a little bit moist, uh, you'll have this composting process that will occur right within the bag. And then uh, when it comes time to pull them off in the spring, you can oftentimes peel that open. And if there was enough water in there, oftentimes um, you've got a product that's ready to go on the garden anyway. So wow. lots of things you can do with those leaves. They're a valuable resource for you. Yeah, I think I'm going to end up uh, taking the mower out one more time and kind of mulch over those leaves a little bit, leave them right where they lay and help uh, fertilize the lawn a little bit. Yeah, that's true. You know, uh, if you've got a mulching mower uh-huh. uh, that cuts them up quite a bit. Little tiny, teeny and, pieces. Um, yeah. Into smaller pieces, that'll do the job for you uh very very nicely Good. if you have real heavy leaves uh, you'll get such a thick layer out there that that really doesn't work so you want to rake some of them off first get them in the compost pile and then you can come along and clean things up 
so if you've got a, a light mat, a light uh, covering of leaves, I think that works extremely well. If you've got just uh, three or four inches of leaves in some areas, you know, we've got this beautiful deciduous forest in many areas, but some people have really got a bank of leaves out there. Some of that has to be taken off first, and then you can use your ultra mower to kind of clean things up and leave them on the lawn where they will decompose and go into the soil eventually and become part of that organic material that we really need for the lawn and for all of our gardens, Dave. All right, Bob, we'll take another break and be right back with more of the Bob Olin Show, 945 now at KDAL. And we're back, more of the Bob Olin Show. Bob, we're going to be near record-setting temperatures today. We're expecting upper 50s, and the record for today is 61. Oh, I take it back. It's 63, but we still have a shot at it. That was set back in 1953, so we'll see if we get record-setting territory today. Well, we're getting close. And yeah. that, that should be very comfortable for people mm-hmm. to have the opportunity to get outside a little bit. And as I mentioned, maybe we can circle back here a little bit. We're sure. going to be having, going to be moving into the Thanksgiving, and then after that, of course, right into the holiday season there. And uh, people will be looking for trees. You know, uh, I mentioned in the past, we're very fortunate. Uh, we've got so many of the desirable evergreen trees that are used, what we used to call, of course, Christmas trees. Uh, these evergreens are just so beautiful and part of the, uh, the tradition. Uh, it's kind of interesting because these trends change a little bit, but right now it's all short needle trees, and that's basically our two uh, short needle varieties that grow in this area, balsam fir naturally, and then our spruce. And we've got black spruce and white spruce, Norway spruce. So we've got a number of uh, spruce that are available. And we've got uh, certainly white pine, which has a little bit shorter needle, about an inch and a half in length. And then, of course, our long needle species, the Norway or the red pine, which happens to be Minnesota state tree. And, um, you know, at one time, these long needle varieties were very popular as Christmas trees. And now we shifted to the balsam and into the firs. I think this um, this came about with introduction of the Fraser firs. It actually came out of Appalachia, North Carolina. They got huge plantations down there. The Fraser fir is, of course, a fir, and it's a, it's a cousin to our balsam fir, but the Fraser fir is not particularly hardy in this area. And uh, But our growers have done a pretty good job, our commercial growers, of actually introducing some crosses between the Fraser fir and the balsam fir. So we really have some firs that are available and have been cultured or grown for Christmas trees on our lots. And uh, these are very, very nice trees, short needle, nice and soft. They tend to retain their needles a little better than a balsam does. But even our, our native balsam fir, where, and the rub against it, you bring it inside, if it's a little dried out into a warm, dry uh, living environment, and they do shed a lot of needles. But you can avoid that to a large extent, again, by getting a fresh tree and uh, maybe delaying that purchase just a little bit till things cool down a little bit and then letting that that cut tree drink as much water as it possibly can before you bring it in so we get it just uh, full of good moisture. We bring it in the environment in a Christmas tree stand that has water available and keep that stand uh, very very full so that the tissue never has a chance to collapse on itself. So even our native balsam fir will retain its needles well through the holiday season as long as it's fresh and as long as you provide uh, adequate moisture for it. You know, Dave, uh, I mentioned we've got so many options here. We've got Christmas tree lots. The farmer's market's going to have uh, our local growers that will have their Christmas trees that have been grown and cultured. 
We've got uh, what we call cut your own or pick your own trees. We've got a number of people doing that. And uh, then we've got uh, trees that can be cut off both the federal lands and the state lands, but not without a permit. So I must caution people about that. Make sure that you get a permit. We've got the National Forest. You get a permit there, I think, online at recreation.gov. And uh, also one of the uh, the offices that's available there. And the same thing with the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources. You cut a tree, but only when permitted. Uh, county lands don't have that available. And then, of course, we've got private lands. Always check with the, with the landowner. Just don't go out and cut a tree. It always belongs to someone, whether it's be on uh, public lands or whether it's on private land. There usually needs to be permission granted uh, to make those cuts. But... It's kind of amazing, and, you know, we take this a little bit for granted, but you get a little farther south, south of Hinkley, and uh, this variety of tree species for the holidays just isn't available. You get farther south, we've got the mountain regions where they've got some beautiful short-needle firs. I mentioned the Fraser fir down in North and South Carolina in the mountain regions, not down uh, at the coast. And you get a little bit farther south, and the number of, you got southern pine of course which is a long needle variety but they just don't have this nice selection of these highly de- desirable short season varieties so we're very fortunate here um we might want to delay a little bit with this warm warm period here but i'm certainly assuming that sometime right around thanksgiving things are going to cool down and that's when it's time to get out there and really think about harvesting a tree great family traditions and we're very very fortunate we have so many different options and ways you can get a fresh tree and of course i am advocate of fresh trees love them Uh, but i do understand some folks uh, will go the artificial route but uh, really we have lots of lots of ways for everyone's budget to get a beautiful natural tree as well dave it's got to be tough on christmas tree growers to figure out what the trend is going to be because it takes i would imagine several years to get those trees up to a decent size most of these trees are eight to fifteen years old, wow. and uh, yeah, it's it's kind of uh, kind of challenging. That's why I, most of them will grow a variety. They'll okay. grow long needle varieties, and kind of the white pine is is intermediate, and there always seems to be a man beautiful tree. Of course, has a few problems: white mm. pine blister rust and some of the other insects. So that can be a, a potential problem for them. So. Yeah, they're a crop. People get concerned they're cutting the natural trees, but they're a crop. So for every one they cut, they probably plant another two or three because you're going to lose a few to the deer, you're going to lose a few to the rabbits <laughs> and other things. Uh, so I think for everyone that's probably cut off a Christmas tree plantation, about another three three uh, trees are planted the, the next spring. So you don't have to worry about uh, there ever being a shortage as long as we still have uh, our commercial people with the ambition to get out there and as long as the consumer is interested we will have natural trees and we're not going to run out of them so that's very good news for us this far north Dave. i know you keep your trees up for well what middle of january or february when do you uh, put it up in your in the uh, olin household well, uh, I do go uh, slightly after uh, after Thanksgiving, so okay. I delay that. I like to, I appreciate that. I, I like to eat, so I, I love that Thanksgiving <laughs> feast. So I just right. don't like to rush through Thanksgiving. There it's you go. Like that, that's a holiday that's kind of getting a little bit lost in between Halloween and Christmas. So I delay putting it up just a little bit, and then uh, I'm such a lover of natural trees that it, it uh, you know, I will take the ornaments off and other things. Sure. But I, I leave them inside for quite a while. It's a beautiful house plant. Eventually it goes out, and I string it with popcorn for the birds. And uh, 
I try to get as much uh, use out of it as I possibly can, those natural trees. Uh, well, hi, then we switch to house plants, and we get a chance we'll talk about, because uh, that's coming back now with, right. uh, in many areas. Some of the greenhouse plants make great Christmas crisps. I saw a lot of uh, both Thanksgiving and Christmas cacti being sold at our retailers. So there's a lot of green material, but uh, being a person who loves that green pigment, uh, I try to keep as much on the inside as I possibly can during the winter months, Dave. Yeah, hard to believe Thanksgiving is only uh, a little over a week away now. Yeah, I'm a little bit shocked. Uh, you know, we get this little warm period mm-hmm. here. And many of us have a lot to do before the holiday comes around. <laughs> so uh, we're going to be a little busy over the next week or 10 days here for sure. All right, Bob, what's going on uh, otherwise? Anything you got to mention about the farmer's market, or is that wrapped up for the year? Well, uh, that, other than the Christmas tree sales, okay. wrapped up. I would say this. Uh, I've already got vegetable catalogs, <laughs> and uh, I'm making a few notes in them because uh, – and every year is going to be a little different, but there's a lot of uh, a lot of fresh uh, new varieties out there, which is very encouraging. And we're seeing uh, the new catalogs. I think gardening continues to be bigger and better than ever. We are seeing a lot of trends toward more natural foods, whole foods, Mediterranean diets. I had that question the other day, so I had to actually do a little research on that one. I'm not the best cook in the world, but... Uh, Nonetheless, I think uh, the vegetable gardens are going to continue to be popular as well as the as well as the uh, flower gardens. I think uh, we had a really pretty good growing season, particularly if you had the water available. And most yeah. folks are, can get a little water uh, to their smaller gardens, and I think people enjoyed a real successful season, and that and always encourages them coming back for next year. So. Some of the catalogs it surprises me. Um, I've had several already, but most of them will hit us uh, just slightly after Thanksgiving and then into January. So it's an indication that uh, gardening, uh, it's been the number one hobby for a long time, and I think it's going to retain its uh, its interest among the population. I suppose sure. any vegetables will work for a Mediterranean diet as long as you you know put a lot of olive oil on them. Yeah, I think <laughs> olive oil. And have a glass of wine, too. More expensive. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, I think olive oil is a big part of that, and uh, but it's a very natural, very healthy diet. Right. And actually, we've got a great big uh, new chain out there called Kava, which I've not seen, but I've heard a lot about. Which uh, is uh, something like chipotle based on that concept, but oh. with the Mediterranean diet that they're featuring, and that's based on the fact that um, big part of our population is is quite health conscious, so getting more health conscious, and. Uh, so now we're going to have a Mediterranean chain. Who knows how long it'll get? To, it'll take to get into this area, <laughs> but uh, they've got uh, stores throughout the country and uh, featuring that Mediterranean diet. So right. uh, there's a lot of those things that go in that that you certainly can can grow in your own uh, backyard. Not the olive trees necessarily, but <laughs> right. uh, nonetheless. Uh, several other components, all the tomatoes and uh, squash and other things that go into a real natural. Uh, vegetable-based diet. Sounds good, Bob. We'll check you back here again next Tuesday for another Bob Olin Show. Have a good week. Thank you, Dave, and same to you.